Hello, how are you all doing? Welcome to today's episode. I'm really excited today because we have a guest and I always love having conversations with like-minded women. So make sure you grab your tea, grab your coffee because it's going to be a little bit of a long conversation, but you're going to learn a lot of things that obviously going to help you grow and transform your business right now. Today, we have Daniela Ginas on the show. She accumulated so much experience in her journey, hence why she's on the show today. Daniela is the founder of She's the Boss International, and apart from that, she's also a university lecturer, a speaker, and helps small businesses transform and launch innovative businesses. Obviously, she had a lot of experience, as you can see, but we are really excited to hear more about how her journey started. So welcome to the show, Daniela. Tell us a little bit more about what you do. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Presently, I am the founder of She's the Boss International. I support primarily female entrepreneurs to start and grow sustainable businesses, focusing on strategy, innovation, with uh, specific areas of support around finance, systems and processes, and also personal development. I... I've been doing this for only for officially with the She's the Boss title for three years, um, whilst also working as a senior business advisor on a contract with Enterprise Europe Network, and that's working specifically with SMEs um, and supporting them with projects around innovation and growth. I came to this through my experience of running my own businesses, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah. I launched my first yeah. business as well in 2007 which I sold in 2015. I also, in 2013, launched Alternative Weddings and Events, which my business partner brought me out of also in 2015. Um, so my experiences of running those businesses and also studying business, I did a master's in enterprise and my MBA focusing on strategy and innovation. All of that kind of combined made me want to provide opportunities for other people in business using my experience as well as my kind of academic understanding and background because I think there's lots of people out there that are I would say career coaches mm. who want to support businesses but don't actually have the, the background the education to underpin it it's more around motivation mm. whereas I'm trying to combine kind of all of it so having the kind of academic methodologies to support as well as the experience of running my own businesses to then provide kind of mentoring, the educational stuff around my MBA to provide more of a consultancy focus. So I would say I provide a multi-method approach mm. looking at mentoring, coaching, consultancy training, all in one service. And I find that when I was running my businesses, there wasn't anyone that I found yeah. that had both. It was either the career coach or it was the real academic type of person mm. or the person that had done their own businesses but didn't necessarily, couldn't really trace the steps of how they'd done it to therefore be able to support me. So I just wanted to be a me for yeah. people like me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It basically created what you needed. But apart from that, you mentioned obviously having an academic background. You think people need to have an academic background in order to obviously have a business or have a profitable business, a successful business like yourself? I think it really just depends on the type of business you run. I don't think the academics, uh, the academic route is for everyone at all. Um, I don't think it's necessary for everyone. Had I been starting a different type of business, I don't think that I would have needed any sort of degree or master's. 
if I had been, I don't know. So, for example, when I was running my first business as an event management company, I don't necessarily think that having a master's had a particular impact on that. However, because now my business is around providing business support and consultancy, it really helps me because I have a lot of the methodologies, the tools, the frameworks that I can use to maximize the potential of my clients. Mm. Um, I personally enjoy studying, though. Yeah. So whether it was for business or if I'd gone into a job, I still would have. Uh, studied just because I enjoy it and at some point I think I probably will uh, do a further degree at some point because I like it mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily think it's essential for everyone and I mm-hmm. think uh, if you're running a business you don't necessarily need to have a degree but what I always recommend and suggest is a commitment to continued learning so that yeah. doesn't have to be in leading going to training programs as a business owner you don't know everything there's people out there that have been there done that and you can learn from them yeah. So it's necessarily that you have to go into formal education, but you have to be personal and professional development. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You need to kind of invest in your own education, like personal yeah. development education. Yeah. Yeah. So what actually got you started in business in general? Did you plan to have a business or you actually got yourself? What happened? Well, I always wanted to go into business. Um, and as a young, as a young girl, it was, I was always quite entrepreneurial, so I've said a few times um, like on my social media that one of the things that I used to do was plait people's hair. School, I, I taught myself to braid hair, and I would charge people to braid their hair during lunch break, so that was probably the first glimpse of my entrepreneurial future. Mm-hmm. I also negotiated um, on lots of different things, so washing people's cars, babysitting people's kids. Wow. I always had that kind of um, desire to, mm. to make money, which essentially actually came from the fact that we didn't have much money growing up. So mm. I, I would see my friends getting pocket money and being able to buy stuff for themselves, and we didn't have that. I decided that I would make money through different means. And then my dad was really instrumental and consistently saying to me, when you get older, you don't work for anyone. Have your own, start your own business. Mm. So I always, from a very young age, knew at some point I was going to run my own business. Yeah. So at university, yeah. I founded the African Caribbean Society and we started putting on a lot of events, which I really enjoyed doing. When I finished university, I then decided I wanted to do that as a business. So, but because I, I didn't really know anything about business, I thought I'd work for a little bit. So I worked for a year and within that year, I quit like probably four or five times. So every couple of months, I'd quit the job that I had because I realized I really didn't like working for other people. And then I heard about a program called Inside Out that was helping people start their own businesses. So I applied and I got on that program, quit my last job. Mm-hmm. And essentially, I've never had a, another job since. And I was 20, 23, 22 or 23, mm-hmm. and started, started my first business. And that was essentially how it happened. They worked with me on the business plan and developing the business plan. And by the end of the program, I launched the first business. Wow. So you actually, did you finance your own business, your first business? Or you got external financing? When we started, we uh, we got a loan from the Prince's Trust. Okay. Um, it wasn't, when I look back, and I, I've been quite vocal about this, it wasn't necessary. We didn't need it. Um, I don't think we should have been given it. Mm-hmm. Because we didn't, we didn't need it for what we were doing. And we spent it quite recklessly buying laptops and printers and just stuff that weren't really essential at that point yeah. we just thought well when you start a business you need startup money mm-hmm. so we're tired for it and we got it but 
really. We didn't have a business. Although we had been on the Inside Out program and put together kind of a business plan of sorts, I then teamed up with three other girls yeah. when we started the business. So the business plan that I had done wasn't relevant anymore. But then we didn't redo a business plan. So we didn't have a clue what we were doing, to be honest. And I think that the finance, the we, at all, the finance actually became a hindrance because actually, because we got this money, we knew we needed to pay it back. We were just trying everything to make some money, but didn't ever sit down and actually put together a proper plan. I know majority of people on the show are probably solopreneurs, they're working by themselves, but how was your experience in working with other founders? I personally prefer to work on my own. Mm. <laughs> and my, yeah, my business at the moment, I work on my own. I don't plan on hiring anybody really other than maybe like an assistant or an administrator. So what's the, main, what's the main difference? What are the challenges that you actually encounter when you're actually working with other people? Well, the main challenge I had is that we all had varying degrees of um, motivation. Mm. So that was the first, the first issue. So some of us were really, really motivated and therefore doing a lot, but then others were working and, and didn't necessarily have, and even one of the girls wasn't working at this time, but she just wasn't as motivated as me and one of the other girls. So we were doing a lot. And then resentment started to build because our thing was, if we're doing all the work, why are you getting any of the money? This yeah. Um, and we weren't even really making any money. But if money comes, you're going to want a piece, mm-hmm. but you're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So that was quite annoying. Um, Although saying that with my second business, it was me and my business partner. And that was a very different experience. We were both quite equal in terms of motivation. Mm -hmm. And one of the benefits of that was the fact that I didn't have to do everything. There were things like, okay, you do that bit and I'll do that bit. But that was was a much better experience. I actually left that business not because of any issues with him, but because it was, we had to do weddings and go to wedding fairs on the weekend and I not long had a baby and I didn't want to. Yeah. Working with him was actually, I don't want to say that working with business partners is always bad, because it's not. I just had a bad first experience. Oh, okay. And so you actually end up selling these businesses. How was your experience in the selling process? So... Uh, just to give a bit of context, with the first business, the, as I said, there were four of us. By 2009, it was just me left. So from 2009 to 2015, I grew the business uh, myself. We had eight members of staff, but we were very reliant on external funding. So we'd got a lot of funding from um, organizations like Big Lottery, Heritage Lottery Fund. And the business was quite heavily um reliant on that funding for a period of time mm. so it got to 2014 and i started a program called the big venture challenge with an organization called unlimited and the idea was at the end of that program we'd pitch for investment i'd get the investment to take on a sales and operations manager and then and that would enable me to build up the commercial side of the business because the business was a social enterprise mm. which is why we were able to, to draw down so much funding mm. I went on that program, I pitched for investment, the investment, I was told that I had got the investment, and the idea was the external investment would be match funded by Unlimited. So I also, because I worked extra money, I also got a grant from my local council, so they were going to match fund it all. And then when I was supposed to get the investment signed off, I got a call from the investment fund manager, and they said, actually, we want to see more sales. Come back in six months if you hit the sales target then we'll give you the money 
Mm. At this point, I was very heavily pregnant. Mm. My mum was really ill in hospital in another city, and I was up and down the motorway. And I knew there was no way. And I'd gone from the eight members of staff to one member of staff as mm. each of the funding streams had closed down. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to hit that sales target on my own with a new baby. It just wasn't going to be possible. Um, so I was actually thinking about closing the business, and I was mm. kind of in a position of I don't know what to do. Because also... Uh, the grant that I'd got, I, when I initially heard that the investment had fallen through, I thought oh, it's okay because I've still got the grant and mm-hmm. actually that amount was enough to do what I needed to do. But then Unlimited said they wouldn't match it because it's a grant and it's not investment. So that was like the world kind of came crashing down for a period. But then somebody, this guy that had been around the business, I but the life of me, I don't really remember how I met him. Yeah. He said, actually, I was, I was going to start a social enterprise. Let me buy yours. Mm. So I sold, sold it to him. I didn't have a clue at all yeah. <laughs> about how to buy this business. And I, I spent lots of time on the internet, Googling, researching. I, there was no person for me to go to that could even advise me. So I just picked a figure out of the sky, essentially. I looked at the kind of different... Uh, areas of the business, particularly around the business brand, because the brand reputation was quite quite strong in our area, and I just put a nominal figure on that, and also like our social media channels and the office thing. So I just put a random price and sold it. And the same with um, the second business, we hadn't been going as long. I think it'd been like a year and a half, mm. and I, I realised actually I don't want to do this because it's going to take too much time away from my baby. Mm. So again, I just picked. We kind of we evaluated how much money the business had made, and I just took out a percentage of that. It really that wasn't as much at all, but better than nothing, as I say. And the business, those businesses are still operating now, so mm. there is a legacy there. Yeah. So now, with she's the boss, you're more building a lifestyle business, if I understand, isn't it? Yeah, that's definitely more. What yeah. Tell us a little what. bit more about she's the boss. So she's the boss um, makes me happy. <laughs> and I'm really, I it's interesting because, yeah, when I sold my first business, I really, there was a period of time where I just was quite depressed. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm. And because I put all of my focus for the past kind of 10 years, really, on building this business and what this business is going to be, and this was kind of me, my life, and I really centered myself and who I was around this business. So once I sold it, I felt completely lost. But I launched uh, She's a Boss. It was originally called Genius Enterprise Consultants, and I launched in 2017. I felt really clear that actually this is what I'm going to do now. Because I've been providing business support and mentoring and consultancy kind of on an informal basis for probably about four or five years before because of the fact that I'd been running a business that people had seen had become successful. So people were coming to me all the time asking mm. for help. Once I'd worked it out in my head that this is what I should do. And kind of the main focus initially was to focus on working with female entrepreneurs to start and grow profitable, sustainable systems led businesses that were not relying on the founders. Mm. And um, essentially that is what the business still does today. But one of the things that I have found is my approach seems to attract a lot of men. So even though I target women, <laughs> I've said the moment, probably 60% of my clients are actually men. Wow. And I don't really know necessarily how that's happened. Um, in 
addition to doing the kind of consultancy, the coaching, the training stuff, I also have She's the Boss Female Entrepreneur Stories where I interview women in business and that's on YouTube and I'm hoping to launch the podcast by next month where people can listen to the audio and I've really enjoyed that. And I've kind of developed my own method of supporting entrepreneurs and that's under a method, three-step methodology, think big, take action, keep pushing and everything that I deliver uh, is kind of rooted in that around kind of having big aspirations and thinking big and limiting yourself, taking action, so making sure that you be systematic and you have a plan and you actually action that plan on a regular basis and then keep pushing is around the personal development, so providing accountability, making sure that you're looking after your mental well-being because entrepreneurship can be very challenging on your mental yeah. health. So I try to, as I said, I try to provide holistic support. I do it primarily through Zoom. So yeah. most of my interventions are done online because I like to be in my house. <laughs> of course. And, um, yeah, and on the back of that, I've recently launched the Founders Network. So she's a boss founders network where we um, really organize or organize dinners with all of my clients and also prospects from from the, the Midlands region to come and network with each other. We have guest speakers. And that is now migrating also to an online platform, the Founders Network, where uh, all of the business owners that I work with share tips, advice, and also share templates, workbooks, and that kind of thing. So over the next year, I, I plan to kind of build that online and offline be a membership, a membership and subscription-based um, model. Yeah. So there's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, that's actually amazing. We have a membership called She Wins Membership. And it's absolutely amazing. The impact you can do in people's life is literally amazing. So I definitely like motivate you to do that because it's definitely gonna help a lot of people. So tell us, uh, give us some tips about how someone should. Yeah, obviously you told us about these three steps that you believe in, but give us more tips about how you think someone should structure their business in order to actually be profitable? Well, the first thing is, and, and I'm going to say a tip, but I'm also going to say a mistake. So the mistake that uh, a lot of that I've come into contact make is they have an idea yeah. and they don't, they don't do any sort of research. Hmm. They don't, they don't narrow down on who that idea is going to service. So it's just, I want to, and this is, I did this with my first business. I want to do event management. I'm going to focus on um, businesses. Hmm. And this is what I'm going to do it. I get a website. This is what I'm going to um, charge people and I'm just going to do it. You yeah. can't be profitable that way because there's no plan. There's no structure. There's no research. So the tips that I would give is, number one is to work out exactly who the target market is and make sure that you understand what their pain points are. Yeah. And, and do it in a fashion that is not um, leading. So I, I've worked with people who have said, when I've done market research, I went and said, would you want to work with my event management company? Well, mm -hmm. no, that's leading. It should be, do you ever need somebody to organize an event? Yeah. How much would you be interested in paying? Mm -hmm. What is the challenge that you have when looking for an event management company? So it's, it's trying to, to make sure that you're understanding the pain and not imposing your idea onto them because you want to see if your idea is even worth pursuing. Mm. That's the first thing. The second thing is that you craft your kind of service or your product offering around the pain point, not around the business. 
and this is something uh, I've, I've had some real challenges with some of my clients getting them to understand the difference. And they didn't say, do I offer consultancy? Yes, I do. Is that the problem that my clients have? No, it isn't. The problem that my clients have is they have an idea and they don't necessarily know how to commercialize it. They don't know how to build or grow their business and it's stressing them out. That's the problem that they have. Yeah. My consultancy or my coaching solves that problem. Mm. But there's no point me going out and promoting and saying, hey, I'm a consultant, work with me. No, what I need to say is, are you having a challenge with X, Y, and Z? Through this, I can help solve that problem. Mm. And this is how I'm going to help solve it. And I think a lot of the time people lead with what the business is as opposed to the problem that, it, that you're helping to solve. Yeah, I think it's part of the fact that a lot of people don't actually listen to people needs. They're just coming yeah. up with their business and they're kind of like, as you say, they're leading, they're imposing the business on people. But it's more about listening, understanding people's problem and then providing the solution. And majority of the yeah. time, people just don't take that time to go through that process. Mm -hmm. And they get very wrapped up in the idea because they think it's a good idea. And, it's, and this is in, in particular for people that are in established businesses mm -hmm. because they're like, well, I've been doing it and it's been working, even though they may have hit a point that they can't move past. So an example of this, um, I was working last year with a guy that runs a personal training gym. And when I was asking him about how he was marketing his service and what the problem he was solving, he was very adamant about the fact that the value that he provides to his clients is that he helps them with nutrition mm -hmm. and living uh, better lives through nutrition. Yeah. And I actually had become one of his clients. So we were clients of each other. So he was helping me train and I was helping him with his business. Mm -hmm. And I said, as your client, that is not the problem that I have. The problem that I have is I want to go on holiday and be able to wear a bikini and look good in the mm -hmm. bikini. And yeah. that's the problem. And you solve that problem by working with me to do exercise and holding me accountable to make sure that I come in and I train. The nutrition part is not relevant to me. His argument was, well, actually, you're not going to get that bikini body without the nutrition. That's irrelevant to the point. You know what you're, you're offering, mm. and that will remain the same. But how you communicate what you're offering needs to speak to the pain point of the customer. I'm the customer. My pain is my belly needs to be flatter, and I want to get abs. If you come to me speaking about nutrition, I'm not interested. I don't care about that. What I care about is, are you going to give me a six-pack? If you come and you tell me that's what you're going to do, if you then want to focus on nutrition in the, the delivery of the service, then that's up to you. But that's not how you engage. And I think a lot of people fall into that trap. They know what the value is to them, and they therefore communicate that value to the customer when actually that's not the customer's, what the customer wants in terms of value. Mm. And therefore, in order to be profitable, you need to tap into what the pain point is and communicate that effectively. What you do after that, in terms of the service delivery, is not the point. The point is, how are you communicating it? Yeah. So that's the second thing. And then finally, not having a focus on finance. You can't be profitable if you don't know what profit is, if you don't know what your break-even point is, if you're not um, taking into consideration or factoring in your time cost. And this is particular for those in the early stages of business. They don't factor in the cost of their time and therefore they think that they're being profitable because they're getting paid for something. But if you're not factoring your time into the cost, how do you scale? Because when you have to take on staff, 
the staff are going to be want to uh, want, are going to want to be paid for their time. Yeah. And if you've not factored it into the cost, then all of a sudden your cost, your pricing is going to have to zoom up, or you're going to be at a loss because now you're paying for your staff members' time, but you're not charging for it. Okay. And yeah. This is, this is really really important. So let's dig a little bit more deeper in because you actually teach people how to manage their finance. So give us the main tips to actually manage your finance successfully. So what are the basics? What someone should do right now as an entrepreneur to be able to obviously manage their finance like effectively? The first and most important thing is to do it, (laughs) to actually pay attention. Mm. There's so many people that get so kind of spooked out and scared of the numbers that they don't even look at them Mm. and then wonder why they don't know that they don't have a grip on their business finance. If you don't check your bank account, if you're not sitting down and going through what income came in versus what expenditure went out, that's the first mistake. And that is actually potentially the most detrimental mistake. And interestingly, I've worked with clients that have for, for months or even sometimes for years, ignored their finances completely because they've had this kind of phobia or fear of it. And actually once I've got them to sit down and just look at it, realize often that they're in a much better situation than they thought because mm. the fear had kind of paralyzed them so much that they've kind of over been overthinking and thinking the worst when the situation is not as bad so the first thing i would always say is actually check your finances so get into the habit of checking on a regular basis your bank statement making sure that you're um looking at everything that's come into your business versus everything that's come out and understanding your cash position every month. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is also looking to the future. So mm-hmm. one of the main reasons that people um, end up going out of business is based on cash flow issues. If you're not looking to the future of finances of your business, you're not going to be able to see cash flow issues happening. Yeah. And if you don't okay. see it happening, then you can't preempt it and kind of make um, plans to reduce the impact. So what I would definitely recommend is making sure that you have a cash flow forecast and a profit and loss forecast. So sitting down and it's kind of a long process, but it's a worthwhile process. Sitting down and going month by month, how much money do you, how much sales do you think you're going to get? And what does that look like for the year? What is the total kind of sales figure for the year? Then looking at what is the outgoings that you're going to incur based upon you being able to achieve those sales and doing the same thing for every month and then looking at the year. Does at the end of the year, are you getting more income or are you getting enough income, sorry, to cover your expenditure? Mm. And once you've done that, that gives you kind of a, a clear understanding of how much uh, sales you need to, to hit for the year to cover all of your expenditure. Then one of the things that people do is focus on that and then think, oh, it's okay because at the end of the year, I'm going to have an extra five or 10 grand. But the cash flow is the most important part and you do this afterwards. So just because you get a sale in January does not necessarily mean that you're going to get paid in January. And the cash flow forecast will help you determine when you're going to get paid Mm. and if that means that at any point your bank account is going to go into the red. So... For me, for example, mm-hmm. with my event management company, what I used to do is when I would get the sale, I'd request 50% upfront, but then I would 
couldn't get the other 50% until the week of the event. If somebody hires me in January, but their yeah. event wasn't until September, even though on my um, profit and loss, that amount, to say it was a thousand pounds, it would show in January because that's when I get the sale. So I've achieved a thousand pounds sale in January. On my cash flow forecast, though, January will only show 500 pounds. September will show 500 pounds. Mm. If you're only looking at your profit and loss, but the cost of me delivering that event is incurred, let's just say in August, and the cost is 800 pounds. Mm. If I've left, if I've left that thousands of pounds and I'm only focusing on the profit and loss, I've got a 200 pound deficit because I don't have the other 500 pounds. And this is why a cash flow forecast is really, really important because it helps you then determine where you're going to be at a deficit and where you need to maybe plug in extra money, where you may need to raise finance, where you might need an overdraft facility, where you might even need to change your payment terms. So maybe it's because I know that this event is going to cost me £800, but I'm only going to have £500 the month of when it's starting. Yeah. Then maybe I need to make sure that actually I get 100% the month before. Mm, Yeah, that's And therefore I can change my payment terms. (laughs) but it's important that you know when money's coming in versus when money's coming out not just when sale is made or when the expenditure because again with um even with your expenditure you may hire a service in september but it doesn't need to be paid for until december in december you're going to get a rude awakening because actually maybe there's lots of costs in december because it's the christmas period but now you've also got this cost which on your profit and loss is showing in september but in your cash flow, it needs to be showing in December because you need to make sure in December you've got enough money in that bank to cover that cost. And a lot of business owners don't pay attention to this. They just spend, get income, spend it again, and don't look at kind of where the income is hitting their bank account versus where the expenditure is coming out of their bank. And it's quite, it's, it is something that you need to kind of have a basic understanding of numbers. So I wouldn't even suggest that everybody does this themselves, Mm. but work with an accountant, get an accountant to do it. Yeah. And check or get a financial um, advisor or get somebody, if you've got a business that has the board of directors, get somebody on the board that knows finance because this can make or break your business. Um, So I would say they're really the two main um, kind of areas of finance that I would always recommend people focusing on so making sure that you get into the habit of regularly checking your financial situation and also making sure that you've got forecast both a, a kind of sales forecast but also a cash flow forecast to make sure that you're not ever in a predicament where your expenditure exceeds your income mm, yeah it's actually a very very important topic like a lot of people actually have realized i've been working with people that don't even have a separate bank account so even the basics like sometimes are not covered and Mm -hmm. i think i think it's also because i don't know maybe people actually people don't want to deal with that part as you were saying before but it's actually really really important yeah go on by not dealing with it by ignoring if you don't face it in your own time you'll face it on the bank's time yeah. <laughs> you'll face it in the tax man's time and you don't want it to be under somebody else's duress that you have to face it so i always say just face the fear and do it anyway yeah so a great motivator just to provide an example mm-hmm. one of my clients wanted to expand his business and needed to buy some equipment which he didn't have the cash for cash for 
So I said, why don't you get an overdraft facility at the bank just to tide you over? Because once you get the equipment, the business will get more money to be able to pay back. And he said he wouldn't be able to get that because the financial situation doesn't look good, et cetera, et cetera. In the end, I forced him to do it. And the bank actually said this had been his most successful financial year in three years. And he didn't and even realize. Him, yeah, and they gave him that. But the reason he didn't realize is because of that same thing. He'd just been ignoring it and mm-hmm. catastrophizing it in his head that yeah. the, the finances were really bad. And actually, it took the bank to say to him, actually, this is your most successful year financially in three years. You've, you've grown. I think he, they said from that year, from the previous year to this year, he'd grown by 75%. Wow. And he didn't know. And this is the problem. People kind of put their head in the sand and ignore it. And actually, you could be um, preventing your business from growth by your ignorance. So you really do need to just get comfortable with it and, and pay attention to it. Yeah, you kind of need to track everything. Because obviously, yeah. it's all about even achieving your goals. If you don't track it, how are you going to actually achieve your financial goals? Well, some people don't even have financial goals. So actually, that's another tip. Set financial goals for the year and for each month. Because if you don't have a goal to w- work towards, then you're just milling along and there's no kind of um, driving factor other than the fact that, yeah, running a business mm-hmm. is going to help you grow. The financial goals are the ones that are going to force you to go out and push sales. Yeah, definitely. So what's the biggest lesson you've learned in your entrepreneurship journey? That's a good question. I don't know if there's one... Well, tell us all then. (laughs) (laughs) There's loads. Um, Well, I think my motto, think big, take action, keep pushing. I would say that's the the lessons that I've learned. So in terms of thinking big, not, I think one of the, and going back to what we just said about goals, um, one of the reasons that I've noticed that businesses kind of remain stagnant and don't grow is because they don't have big goals and they don't set big goals. Yeah. And I really yeah. always love that phrase, if you aim for the moon, you may reach the stars. Mm. Because I think it's so true. If you really um, have aspirations of, of kind of business success, then you need to set big goals. And if you set small goals, you're not really going to stretch. You need to step outside of your comfort zone and really stretch your potential and stretch your thinking. And I would say that was a, a significant lesson for me um, that I've learned, probably more recently, actually. Um, in terms of also planning is so important so that still goes back to this kind of idea of thinking big so it's the thinking part um and then the taking action part so making sure that you actually have a plan for how you're going to achieve everything within your business so again i've I've lost count of the amount of people that i come into contact with and i say have you got a marketing plan no you have a sales plan no you have a (laughs) business plan no well where are you trying to get to and how are you going to get there? If like, how are you going to get to a des- destination if there's no end destination in mind? You're just yeah. going to be pointlessly through life. So, making sure that you have a plan, and it doesn't have to be a really detailed business plan because not everybody likes to have like themes and reams of twenty-page documents. It could even just be a PowerPoint presentation. However, you want to do it. There needs to be a plan and then from that plan you need to understand what the goals are and what are the actions that you need to complete to achieve those goals and i think that's that's the key part i always say that um vision i think vision boards are really useful but they're only useful if they're used in conjunction with an action plan yeah. otherwise they're just a t- and 
really one of the kind of key things that I always push with all of my clients. The first thing I do is a vision session with them. And part of that vision session is then setting the goals that you need to achieve to get you on the path to achieving that vision. And then the actions that you need to complete to achieve the goals. And working diligently, so keep pushing, working diligently on completing all of those actions so that you're then able to achieve your goals and then bring your vision to fruition. And being very focused and, um, what is the word, and disciplined Mm. in that. And I think this is the other thing, and patience. A lot of people um, will have their kind of vision and they may even have their goals and they may even also have the actions, but then they expect super quick turnaround of results and therefore they'll drop off and they don't keep pushing towards what they were starting with because they didn't see quick enough results. Yeah. And the problem is, don't give things time and you just keep jumping from one concept to another. Okay, that didn't work, so let me do this, let me do that. Let me do this. You don't give anything enough time to provide the results. So you have to really be patient and follow through um, to, to be able to achieve any level of success. Yeah, and then especially... Time, oh yeah, go on. I was saying that, especially if you're a new entrepreneur, like the first years are the hardest one and you kind of really need to push through not because you're getting all the results that you want but because you have to because you're starting up and the first year are not definitely going to be like the rosy years or where you make the most money it's actually your learning years and you shouldn't be giving up like very quickly you should actually push through them like be very consistent even if you feel like giving up you need to kind of really push through them Mm-hmm. for sure and and just be um, have faith in the fact that if you keep working towards something you're going to at some point get it yeah Not that you should just quit and, and move on to the next thing and then finally i would say a, a huge lesson that i learned from running my first business and why i'm i'm really um focused on making sure that all of the people that i work with and all in fact all business owners that i come into contact with i really that's the point of building your business so that it's not reliant on you yeah even even if you don't have any desire in the kind of near future to take on staff or to sell your business you should build your business as though you are going to sell it number one and number two as though you've got staff so i always recommend listing and mapping out your processes and your systems and where possible automating things because that also increases your efficiency mm-hmm. um because the challenge that i had was that once i started to to lose staff and also when i needed to step away from business i couldn't because there was no systems in place that would enable somebody else to be able to, to step in mm-hmm. and run with it yeah. and therefore my business was very vulnerable and there's lots of people i come into contact with that are running really quite successful businesses but actually they are even when they've got staff, they are primarily the heart of that business. And if anything, God forbid, like they got sick or somebody passed away abroad and they needed to leave for a period of time, the business will fall to pieces because there's no um, mapped out systems and processes or an operations manual that somebody could then use to step into the business. Yeah. So I always recommend build the business as though you're going to step away from it mm-hmm. so that your business is always in a really strong position and it's not open to vulnerabilities yeah that's absolutely like like great i always say to my clients and my students that you know you always have to have it literally i even say keep templates of even emails like Mm -hmm. as basic as emails as well have templates of everything 
because yeah. it's, it's yeah. basically part of the systems you need to have system in place as you're saying you need to build a business like you you're gonna step away from it because at the end of the day if a business is reliant on you then it's actually not the, the type of business you you want to build because it's not it's not a lifestyle business it's gonna it's not gonna help you it's like being in a job literally mm -hmm. it's like having a yeah, job without you it doesn't work like yeah go on but we're actually in the oh. business of building a, a more passive income rather than working all the time mm -hmm. and this is the thing people will leave their jobs to start businesses and end up actually more stressed than when they were in work because actually they can't take any holidays they can't take a break and they just go 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 when actually if you start looking at how you can automate certain things then that relieves some pressure you can outsource some things as well that can release some pressure and then also if you've got your systems and processes all mapped out you can then start to take on staff and, and you don't have to spend lots and lots and lots of time training them because you've got your templates and your system and processes mapped exactly. to tell them how to do everything that they need to be able to do but i think sometimes some people wear kind of the the business being reliant on them as some sort of medal like without me the business can't go on yeah and it's not it's not it's not a place that you ever want to be you don't want to be a slave to your business yeah but also sometimes i can understand because a lot of women have this superwoman syndrome and they can't literally detach themselves from their business they can't let mm -hmm. go and they feel like if they're not there things are not done correctly in the way they want it to be done and all that but it's really really important to actually build systems for your business yeah for sure yeah so what's the book that changed everything for you the e-myth revisited by mike well there's two the e-myth revisited by michael e gerber um or gerber i don't know how to pronounce his name yeah. but that okay. was a huge eye-opener to me um particularly around this kind of having a business that's uh, reliant on the founder mm. it really opened my eyes to a lot of things and then the book that actually really opened my eyes before that was um the fast lane millionaire by mj demarco okay and that book that book absolutely changed my whole life to be honest <laughs> and it's so powerful and it talks about the idea that in life there's fast laners slow laners and sidewalkers mm -hmm. and really the plan is we all want to be fast laners and that's generating income that's not dependent on our time yeah and it's really it's changed the way that I do everything so even in my business at the moment right now the business is me because I do the sessions but the plan and the way that I'm building the business as I've mentioned is that it's not going to be me all the time I'm going to have kind of downloadable tools and resources and a membership um, I'm also going to be developing products so I've really uh, built the business or built the business vision with this kind of fast lane up mentality mm. even if i'm not doing it right now that's the plan of where i want to go so those two books i would say have probably in the last 10 years made the biggest impact on my life wow and yeah and for sure okay so yeah we're gonna have these books on the website so if you go over to shewinsmastermind.com books we're gonna put the books that we recommend you to read as an entrepreneur um, another question is, if you could go back in time and build your business all over again, what would you do differently? Um, well, number one, I probably would actually build a business. 
<laughs> I would say, as much as it was a business, it was very much, as I said, it was very much reliant on grants. So it was really a series of projects under the heading of a, a business. Mm. So I would really, really interrogate the finances. How am I going to generate money from this? I'd really narrow down on the services that I was going to offer. And I wouldn't apply for so much funding. Mm. And I wouldn't say I wouldn't apply for none <laughs> because it really, it helped me to make a huge impact on a lot of young people in the community that we were providing support for. But I would really do that laterally and initially focus on the commercial arm of the business. Yeah, that makes sense. <coughs> because I don't know, the money gives you a lot of like, you know, less stress when you're building a business. If you have like the large amounts that you can depend on. But that's the problem. You depend on it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And actually, you don't want to. And that's exactly why I always recommend my clients to not apply for funding until they don't need it. Because if you take it when you need it, then you're always going to need it. Mm. Because you become dependent on it. And it's this idea of free money. There's no such thing as free money. And everything comes with its own price. Yeah. And with funding, <laughs> the price that it comes with is you have to deliver on the outcomes and the objectives that you applied for in the funding application. Whilst you're spending time doing that and doing all the admin, you're not building the commercial side of your business, unless you're very strategic in doing it. So I always say, if you're going to apply for funding as well, be strategic with it. So if it's to test out a new concept or a new product that you're then going to send, um, sell commercially, then by all means do it. Yeah. And what's the best advice you've ever received? Help yourself before you help other people. Mm. My, um, the, my mentor, Gita Patel, yeah. I was working with her. We, we were chosen to work on a women's, women's Hour, Radio for Women's Hour uh, series where they were tracking women in business. I remember being really, really tired one night and I'd been doing lots of work with young people and she asked me how much I'd been paying myself. Mm. And when I told her, she was like, well, why are you doing all that with that amount of money? And then I gave her this kind of self-righteous speech about, I want to help young people and I want to change their lives and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. and, she's, and she's very clearly said, what is the point of helping people if you can't help yourself? Wow. So you need to go and make the money first and then you can use the money and your time to help as many people as you want. That is what you need to be focusing on. And it was like a light switch went off in my head. And it was from that point moving forward that I really started focusing on the kind of commercial side of the business. And now, to this day, my main focus is I need to generate income for myself first, and then I can give any of my other time after that. If it's not benefiting me in some way, then I'm just not doing it. And that might sound quite cold, but really that's a kind of mentality that we have to have if we want to make a difference. Because yeah. you can't make a difference if you're running on empty. That makes so much sense. That's actually really good advice. And I think as women as well, and particularly if you have a kind of social background or an interest in just helping people in general, we often will try to help at the expense of ourselves. Yeah. And, and if you keep putting yourself last, you will get to a point where you can't help anybody because you're going to be of no use to anyone. Mm. So it actually, it's, it makes sense. Help yourself first and then your tank is full and you can therefore start to, to help other people because you have a full tank. Wow, that, that's really good. And so, yeah, we got to the end. And how can our listeners connect with you? 
So I am on Instagram and Twitter at She's the Boss INTL. I also have a Facebook page, which is um, Daniela Genus, She's the Boss. I'm also on LinkedIn, which is just Daniela Genus. My website should be done at some point in the next couple of months, but I do most of my business through Instagram and LinkedIn. That's amazing. Okay, we're going to have all the details in the podcast description. So you're going to, you can just go and check out and connect with Daniela. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really, really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks so much. I've enjoyed sharing with you. (laughs)